When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of the Managing Madrid Podcast is brought to you by the Managing Madrid Podcast live in Toronto. We are doing a show after the World Cup final on December 18th, a few hours after at the Flatiron Firkin Pub. It's going to be a hell of a time. I got signed stuff from Luka Modric, signed stuff from Luis Figo. Official La Liga swag is going to be there. We're going to hand out some of that. And uh, we're just going to have an epic Maridista party and hopefully at least one Real Madrid player in the World Cup final. We'll see. Either way, we're going to review the first half of the season. We're going to review the World Cup. We're going to take questions. It's going to be very interactive. And we're pretty much booked up, but we're going to squeeze as much as we can in the room. So if you haven't already, book your spot. The link is in the show notes. If you're in Toronto, if you're in Ontario, if you're in Canada, I know people who are coming in from outside the province for this. Make sure to book your spot in the show notes. Link is there and get your spot reserved. Coming up is a unfortunate review of Fede Valverde's exit out of the World Cup. He joins Rudiger and Courtois and Hazard in coming home early, and uh, Mehdi Hassan are gonna, is going to help me review it. So kick back, sit back, grab an espresso, and enjoy the podcast, and we're going to get started with Ray Hudson and Derek Ray. Let's go. Base article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Times ended up almost looking like a 6-3-1. Some very good writing about that on the Managing Madrid website. Frustrate podcast as well. Hello and welcome to a Friday edition of the Managing Madrid podcast. This is your host, Kian Sabani, and I'm joined today by Mehdi Hassan. And we are recording this just minutes after an insane finish to the Uruguay versus Ghana game and in turn, the South Korea versus (laughs) Portugal game. And... Fede Valverde and Uruguay are out despite beating Ghana 2-0. And it was a wild finish, and we're going to break it all down. Mehdi Hassan is here. Mehdi, how are you doing? Uh, hey, Kian. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. Uh, and uh, this this tournament is just uh, getting crazier each day. Uh, it's like uh, I, I don't remember seeing such drama in the group stage before, at least. Uh, it's, it's a bittersweet moment. Uh, uh, bittersweet in the sense that uh, I hope that uh, Fede goes further in this tournament, but uh, uh, some part of me is also happy that he's going to be returning to training soon and uh, he's going to be fit and ready for the remainder of Real Madrid season. So a bittersweet moment, but a crazy, crazy day once again in this World Cup. Well, we spent so much time before the World Cup talking about, you know, how are we going to cope with all these players going to the World Cup in the second half of the season, thank God Cruz is staying home. Thank God Alaba is staying home. And 
in this weird scenario, Benzema misses the entire World Cup. Rudiger is coming home early. Fede Valverde is coming home early. And now we're in a situation where maybe we get some more rest. So it's kind of bittersweet, uh, sad for Fede. And in, in some way, look, Fede is young. This is probably, I hope, is the worst version of Uruguay he'll have in a World Cup throughout his entire career and how better versions of it. He was unlucky that he didn't get to play with some of the, the younger years of the golden generation of Uruguayan football of the past 20 years. And uh, he had to make do with an older generation on its last legs and some terrible tactical things, which will break down. But today was actually one of their better games. Um, Like, so where do you want to start with this? I know you've been covering Uruguay for managing Madrid because of Fede Valverde. Where, where do you think we should start with this one? I think uh, we can start with the starting lineup and the formation that they went in. I think we can start with the formation. They kind of went into this in a, well, 4-4-2, but in uh, a bit more wider in this game with Bentancor and uh, Fede in the middle. Uh, the the goal scorer, let me let me just read his name out again. I don't want to butcher his, the pronunciation here. Is uh, Arasayeta, I think, uh, yep. is, if, if, if that's correct. So he kind of roamed around, roamed around in the left wing and also part of the front three at times. Uh, and then when that happened, Fede kind of became came the single pivot at times and some sometimes the right sided center midfield which i thought was a was a better tweak uh, than uh, uruguay's couple of other games in this world cup because in that i thought they were like way too narrow but on this game they decided to be a bit more wider which helped them which which ended up uh, stretching the pitch out wide so i think that was a, a detail that did end up helping them not in the long run but uh, at least in the context of the 90 minutes that they played in uh, and i think suarez had a had a better game than he had in the cup in the last two other games i think he has some personal vendetta well he doesn't have any vendetta. Kana had vendetta against him, but uh, I think he had some motivation, extra motivation going into this one, uh, which uh, which which transpired into a better performance from him as well. Uh, so yeah, overall, I think if we can chalk it down, it was much better than the previous two outings. But it just it it bad luck that Korea ended up scoring in the other game. Well, Uruguay desperately needed Suarez to have a good game, and they got it. I mean, this was his best performance of the World Cup so far, and it was much needed because it was a team that was getting nothing from their forwards. This, you know, They scored both of their only two World Cup goals this game, and that's a big problem for a team that relies so much on long balls to their forwards. They weren't getting any production from that route, um, despite creating some very sporadic chances. So they had that going for him. Suarez was playing well. I think part of the reason Suarez also did play well is he had a couple things going for him as well, which gave him confidence and momentum, is that Ghana did something that neither South Korea nor Portugal really did, and that was give space between the lines for Uruguay to exploit and some transition opportunities. And that was problematic for them. And quite frankly, not something they necessarily needed to do because... They did not need to chase the game from the start. And uh, and they could have maybe stayed a little bit more compact. And they lost the ball a few times, and they also did committed a little bit too many numbers forward. And I think the other thing was that Fede Valverde, you know, playing a double pivot this time, it, was, it wasn't like this absolutely 
incredible Eurowide performance. But given what we saw from them in the first two games, this was a big change. They actually were able to get Fede involved more. I think he had the most touches of anyone on the field. Uh, at least he did when I checked at halftime and in the second half. I had to check it again now. Um, yeah, 92 touches, the most of anyone on the field. So he was getting more touches. Uh, Thomas Partey, I guess, was the other one who had 96 touches. But he was at least more involved in this game. And he had a few ball-carrying sequences. I don't think he had that much influence in the final third, but and that's partly because he was often, the, by default, the guy who was defending Uruguay's box or just in front of it in zone 14. He was the anchor. At times, he was the, the, the deepest midfielder. And so he was playing pretty deep. But Mehdi, he did have a hand in Uruguay's two goals in the first half. He won the ball for the first, which ultimately finds Arasayeta. And then in the second one, he had this really nice vertical pass between the lines, which, again, leads to to another goal. So he was involved in, in that sense. Yes, he was involved. And I think uh, his team, they missed a huge chance by not involving him even more, especially when like the clock was running out. I saw like he was carrying the ball. He was... Uh, bringing the ball out to the final third and then like uh, spraying it out wide, but then he 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 just never got it back. Uh, like the guy who was the second top scorer for Real Madrid this season, you have to give him the ball. Like I think Uruguay themselves underestimated Fede's prowess in the final third, uh, and that I think cost them because some in some of the sequences where they chose to cross it deep i think giving the ball to ferry on the edge of the box would have been a very much viable and perhaps even the better option so yes he was involved but i think uruguay missed a huge chance here by not involving even more especially during the last stretch of the game there's another element of this too and that is um the way the game ended was super weird. And, you know, you see all the tears you see at the end, they get bounced out of the World Cup in just like very similar to Germany. A lot of it is self-inflicted. In Germany's case, it was a different context and that Germany created the most XG of anyone in the World Cup, didn't finish their chances. And with Uruguay, they left it too late to change their tactics. That was one. But at when Korea go ahead against Portugal and that changes the complexion of the group, Uruguay, like to me, what if you rewatch the end of this game, there's no reason nor excuse for them not to score another goal and get out of this group. They had so many counterattacking opportunities, so many numbers and Fede Valverde himself included just look either tired or maybe it was just too much pressure mentally. They were misplacing all these passes they had like, I'd have to go back and watch it again, but they had like five and five on two breakaways. They had so many chances to pull level and get some easy goal scoring chances. And they just didn't. And it culminated the very last kick of the game. They had a direct, they had a free kick. They, I forget who the shooter was. It was someone who came on off the bench, puts this very tame direct shot into the keeper's arms where he had Uruguay players screaming in the box for, to, for him to play it inside. Self-inflicted, and I, I think either way, Fede himself was was gassed too. I think for all the the work he did prior to the game, and Uruguay were gassed, but they just did not take advantage of these transition opportunities. Yep. On a on a slightly lighter note, uh, did you see what Fede did when Ghana missed the penalty? No. 
no, no. So he does this like celebration when Real Madrid scores, right? Like fiercely punching the air. So he started doing that in front of the referee. And the referee's like, get away from me, dude. What are you doing? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, stories, like the World Cup is all about stories. Uh, uh, I think uh, this Ghana Uruguay story will continue to live on. Uh, Ghana in in some kind of like 2010 PTSD, they they missed the penalty again, but this time they lost again. But like they inflicted the exit to Uruguay because if they they score again, they they go through. So I think uh, this is going to be one of those World Cup stories that will continue to live on. There are like some of the others, like Argentina used to face Nigeria every time. I think this is the first time in decades that Argentina is not facing Nigeria in the World Cup. Uh, they have a bit of a rivalry there, so I think. The Ghana Uruguay rivalry in the World Cup. These stories will continue to live on. So, I mean, it's it is one of those things that you just hope that the the World Cup will be marked by many Fede fist bumps and and battle cries for the rest of his career. You know, and and unfortunately didn't work out this time to get them out of the group stage. Reflecting on yep. this game too. Um, Man, I wish he was Argentine. Like, if he was just a little bit that side of the border, like, Argentina could really use a midfielder like Fede. Fede Valverde in this game, um, the most progressions via passes and the most progressive ball carries in this game. So, and, and it's funny because it just almost doesn't add up because Uruguay's passing pass maps are all deep in their own half. They barely were able to connect the dots in the final third, but they got enough in key moments to at least win the game. And the XG for both teams spikes at the end of the game because they both need to win, or in Uruguay's case, they need to get another goal. And so that made the ending pretty fun, at least. And um, it just, yeah, it, 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 it's been fascinating to, to watch this unfold and, and just to watch the games yesterday, the roller coaster, and today, the roller coaster. Um, it's been fascinating. But unfortunately for Uruguay, it just didn't go their way. And now we have Fede coming home early. Um, yeah, and uh, I think he had. Uh, you you mentioned the all the other stats. I think he had a couple of good shots as well. One of them was a volley from way outside the box. That's right. Which uh, the Ghana goalkeeper he just missed just a little bit, and he had to like uh, then pounce. So, yeah. But again, I would I would say this is probably uh, from an involvement perspective. Obviously, it was the better game. It was it was it was a it was a if not the best, one of the two best games that Fede has played in this World Cup. But yeah, it's again, it's it's bittersweet. It's sad that he's coming back, but it's also good that it's he's coming back. Well, he played deep, and and so for that reason, you didn't see too many of those crazy things. You um, like as you said earlier in the podcast, second highest goal scorer for Real Madrid. I think if Uruguay were going to play this terror ball and long balls out of the back and relying on Darwin Nunez, they could at least put Fede in that role to receive those balls and maybe do some damage. But it didn't happen. But um, the other thing I don't think we mentioned is that he also tried shooting from his own half in the second half, which basically no zone is safe. If you give him any chance to shoot, he'll shoot. And he almost caught the goalkeeper napping, but it just goes over the bar. I think he had three shots total in this game. So trying to think of any just going to go through my notes to see if there's anything i missed did you have anything else in this game we're just going to be a quick one because we both got to go in like five minutes but yeah the only other thing is like i think 
uh, you can also feel bad for Fede because for his club, he has to like face all these uh, quote-unquote haram ball teams, Cadiz, uh, Getafe, uh, even Atletico at times. But he, in the national team, he kind of plays for that team. <laughs> so uh, Fede must be fed up with, uh, with that kind of brand of football. But uh, there are a few exciting players in the next generation of Uruguay, which like Fede will be their leader. In, in the coming coming years, there is Darwin Nunes. There is, I don't know how old uh, Maxi Gomez is. He's, he's probably a bit on the older side. There is Ronald Araujo. Uh, but yeah, I think Ferry is going to be the leader of the next generation of weekend players. And uh, with, with, I think, a bit more of an adventurous tactical blueprint, uh, this team can go far in, in even in regional tournaments like the Copa America and and the next World Cup, which is in Canada, Mexico, and and the states, of course. So, yeah, hope to hope to see Fede <laughs> up close next time. Well, I, it's four years is a long time, but yeah, I've never attended a World Cup before, so I'm pretty excited yeah. to just be able to just roll out of bed yeah. and catch a flight and and pretty much probably go to any game I want to go in four years. Um, yeah, you're going to go crashing out. Fede Valverde comes home early and. Uh, We'll have to get you to pick up some some other coverage. Maybe you can pick up Luka Modric for the rest of the tournament or, or yeah. take your pick of what you want to cover for the rest of the World Cup. But yeah. Yeah, Modric is, is my last hope to knock Brazil out uh, because Fede is not going to be doing that. Uh, well, Croatia and Brazil will probably face each other in the quarterfinals. That's going to be a huge game. So yeah, I, I don't mind picking up Modric. <clears throat> So we're going to, I don't know how much we're going to cover Brazil's game, which I think starts in about one and a half hours. Brazil are already through. I think Rodrigo's going to start today. We'll pick up whatever notes we need to pick up tomorrow. If you haven't already, go and listen to every single podcast we've done this World Cup. If you're interested, there is no stone unturned. Every single player has been covered. So that's also in written and podcast form. You can see the written stuff over on managingmajor.com and you can see the or you can listen to the podcast stuff by subscribing on Spotify, Apple, or patreon.com slash which has had some exclusive episodes as well. So uh, go check it out there. And we'll see you this weekend at some point for podcasts. I'm not sure yet, but uh, yeah, catch us on the weekend to, to cover some stuff. Mehedi, thanks, my friend. It was fun. Yep. Thank you. Thanks for listening, guys. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Before we let you go, we wanted to give a shout out to our patrons over on patreon.com slash managing Madrid. And a specific shout out to our $10 plus patrons, because if you pledge $10 or more, you get a specific shout out on the podcast, in addition to getting guaranteed responses to your questions. So shout out to the following $10 plus patrons, Brandon Alvarez, Willie Reed, Will Sousa, Wei Pering, Wamik Jamal, Tobias Arroyo Botcher, Tarek Gaktas, Talib Salhab, Tahmid Kalam, Sujai Wani, Sumanchu Singh, Sheikh Atiri, Shamil Shabaz Sharapov, Sergio Arispe, Santos Solorsano, Samuli Justin, Samer Z, Said Mahad, Sai Mohan Sasi Kumar, Rodrigo Balmaceda, Rishi D, Phoenix Peter Powell, Paulo Fierro, Patrick Udayafati, Oscar Barrera, Nico Laxo, Hi, and you get a shout out from my son Arlo, who has just walked in the room as well. Bye, I love you. 
shout out to Nicholas Moeller, Nick Ribeiro, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Matthew Atkins, Martin Ridman, Magnus Lext, Logan Stahl, Leon Stavernakis, Kunal Tilakar, Crystal Glass, Kevin Rivera, Jose Cruz, John Fernandez, Jason Fitz, Ian Marley, Graham Gerard, Gary Kohut, Frederick Rantakiro, Frederick Sundros, Faisal Hamdan, S.A. Davisito, Eloy Enriquez, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Con P, Christian Toff, Christian Acosta, Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Ashik Bashar, Arnab Mukherjee, Armand Gashi, Armando L, Antons Rudenko, Anirud Singh, Ananya Kumar, Al, Azaz Hussein, Adrian Rios, Adar Zalukovic, Adam Dorsey, Bella Chow, Varun, Ramtin, Magrur, Fabian Moreno, and Daniel Smith. We love you guys so much. Thank you for being a part of this journey with us and Halamari. Podcast Network.